Welcome to the Evolved Caveman, where men learn to be successful and happy with your host, Dr. John Schinnerer, as he shares the most impactful ideas and practices for you to get the most from your relationships, your work, and from your life. Now, here's Dr. John. Hey everybody, this is Dr. John with the Evolved Caveman, and I'm Jory Rose with Journey Forward with Jory Rose. And we want to tell you a little bit about our work together because we are really excited about it. And Jory, let me hand that off to you. Yeah, so uh, aside from us being in relationship and recently engaged and both having been in the same profession for almost our entire careers, we have now joined professional forces, which I've just got to tell you is so much fun to work together. And though we've been working uh, collaboratively for years with uh, clients of ours, John working mostly with the men and me working with the women, we've now made an official launch of doing couples coaching. And there are so many reasons why we think we are really the right people to be teaching these skills. You know, so often you get these, uh, you know, therapists or coaches out there who are teaching skills that maybe they've been trained in, but maybe aren't living in their day-to-day lives. And I think there's such huge value in John and I teaching these, not only because it's what we've been trained in, but because we live this daily. And us being a couple comes with a lot of real-life stories and real-life examples of, yes, where we too still get stuck. And this authenticity that we're bringing to our work, I think, adds huge value to the clients that we work with. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I I mean, I've seen so many couples in the past that benefit from what we've taught. And I've seen so many professionals that maybe one partner, one person is a therapist, the other's not. So one person's working the tools and the other one not so much. And I, I think there's huge benefit to having both of us not only have lived it and then also to teach it. Yeah. And, and I have to say, you know, we're pretty honest when it comes to where, like I said, where we get stuck. You mean we get stuck? Oh, shit. Yeah, we do still get stuck, unfortunately. And, you know, much to our chagrin, we are still human. And despite knowing all these tools, sometimes it's still hard to implement. And so I want to give, you know, we're going to go over some tools today that We've put together, um, if you've been to our new website, theultimaterelationship.com, you can get a handout of these. You can see a webinar on this. And we just wanted to bring another format to you guys getting this information. But these are tools that have all been research-based, science-backed, that we've drawn upon from different resources that we've used um, professionally for years. But really, we implement almost on a daily basis. I mean, some of these we work on daily, regardless of if we're stuck or not. It's, you know, one of the things that I like to focus on a lot when working with couples is love isn't enough. Mm-hmm. You know, you need the tools. You, you need the and tools. And you got to practice the tools. And, you know, people think, okay, I'm going to fall in love. This person checked the majority of my boxes. And then life happens and they stop working towards the relationship. How much of that do you think we get from Disney movies? Oh, I think quite a lot. Or And they lived happily ever after. And, you know, I, I think there's a good portion of media in general that yeah. supports that paradigm. And yet the reality is a lot messier, a lot stickier, a lot muddier, a lot more realistic. Especially <laughs> when you throw kids on top of that or blended families. Yeah, yeah, and so Which we have both. We, we've got both that we're mixing in. 
And, you know, our paths are never a straight line. And so I would never want someone to feel that because we have to work towards something, that means it's a problem. You know, I think it's a fallacy that if we're working on it, we're not good at it. When in reality, relationships especially take constant effort, time, attention. Well, and and these are all tools that, in my opinion, everyone should know. And I don't see anyone being taught, really. Yeah. And, you know, like one of my favorite tools is the idea of capitalization, which comes out of UCLA. Um, And it's the idea of how you respond to your partner's good news. And I I love the, the metaphor that we have two buckets of emotion in us, one bucket of negative emotions, one bucket of positive emotions. And, you know, there's research that shows that most marriages don't end due to a a major transgression like uh, an affair. Most relationships end via death by a thousand paper cuts. It's the gradual accumulation of those little resentments and hurts and being ignored. All those little annoyances that happen day after day. And eventually they build up and your perception of your partner, which was once all or mostly positive, slowly shifts to all or mostly negative. And once you're in that spot, it's difficult to dig your way out of. So capitalization is a tool to fill up that bucket of positive emotions. So the idea is that there's four ways to respond to your partner's good news. And and really, this could be anyone's good news. So there is the so let's say uh, Jory comes home with some great news. Like, hey, honey, I just got a promotion at work, which isn't really a good example for us. But we'll, we'll or maybe for, you know, a, a one that I do a lot of, oh, I have a great new idea. I get really creative and, and want to come up with a new plan or program I want to offer or. Okay, so let's go with that. So there's. Hey, I'm going to create this <clears throat> new online course. There's, there's four ways to respond to that. The first one is active destructive. So think of. An emotionally laden, destructive response to that. So something like, seriously, like you can't deal with the shit that you've got on your plate. Don't you have enough to do? You're already doing. (laughs) So it's an it's an emotional, a negative emotional response that's actively tearing down the partner's good news. Then there's a or or can I add to that? Mm Because this is something that I used to experience. Was how are you going to make money at that? How much money do you think you're going to make? Or you know what what's the goal you're searching for? That's what I'm saying. Goal. Which to me. used to just deflate my balloon. Like I would have all this excitement and optimism and energy towards something. And then when I, when I wasn't met with at least an initial excitement and it went to something that just deflated me, it was hard. Well, and you guys have all experienced that, right? Where you come in and you're just, you're buoyant, you're ebullient, you're excited. And Look at your big you fancy know, words. Someone just comes <laughs> in with a pin and just pops it. And you're like, Shh. yeah. And you're like, oh, I guess it's not that great of an idea anyway. And it's so demoralizing. And it just takes you from like a 10 on an emotional scale to like a three. And, and that's, that's a shitty thing to do to your partner, honestly. And it's, it's several drops into that bucket of negative emotions, let alone, you know, what you didn't put into the, bu- the bucket of positive emotions. And eventually you get that kind of pattern over time. And I'm just going to want to stop sharing good news. Right. And yeah, the good news is going to cut off a part of myself if I've got something exciting. And one of the things we've worked on is we're trying really hard not to cut off any avenues of communication, any forms of communication. We want to keep that communication open, constant and transparent. Yeah. Although Jory's communication sometimes is a little too constant. (laughs) I I, I, I like to talk. Sorry, that was a dig. (laughs) Um, 
Okay, so cap- back to capitalization. So hey, we're um, also giving them positive tools, <laughs> positive role modeling I apologize. here. <laughs> um, and so the the uh, the second way to respond to your partner's good news is the passive destructive. So it's kind of a, a low emotional negative response. Like, mm, do you think you can handle that, or are you gonna have enough time for that, or? Mm, I'm not sure you can deal with that. Would that I'm not even, sure that's a good idea. Would that even be like your partner looking down on their phone and not looking up, making eye contact and just being like, oh, cool. You know, it's interesting. Well, where would that, I, that fall into? That would be a fifth one in the middle, like neutral or just like. Because what ignored. if someone says the right words? Like, wow, honey, that sounds awesome, but doesn't show any actual signs of capitalization. Well, well that's the next one. Oh, okay, I jumped. Sorry. So, But I, I think your point's interesting that I think there's a neutral one in there where you know, the, the spouse is looking at the phone and just like, either they don't, re- they don't respond at all. See, now I would interpret that neutral is still negative. Though. Absolutely. I think, I think you're right, but yeah. I, I don't know where else to categorize it. Yeah. Cause um, that's when I, you know, I think some of these studies, we have to account for the digital distractions as in yeah. a whole entire other component in a relationship. Well, and it's accounted for in that bids for, in the bids for attention idea, yeah. which we will we'll jump get ahead. We'll time, get to, but, yeah. um, so anyway, so the the next way kind of going up the scale is a passive constructive response. And so the passive part is low emotional energy and then constructive is positive. So uh, she comes in saying, oh, my God, I got this great idea. And I'm like, oh, that's nice, dear. So it's it's really kind of a flat affect or flat emotion. So there's it's. The words are saying positive, but the emotional tone behind the words don't don't match it. Yeah, it's it's very non-committal. Yeah, and it's hard to feel the support. It's mm-hmm. hard to feel like, wow, my partner's actually excited for me right now. And and we are still climbing the ladder of you know towards the best response, but so that's a better response than the ones we've given. Um, but it's not the best. And and what we're shooting for in this last response and the best response, the active constructive response, is we're. We're trying to use our spouse's emotional intensity, that excitement, to to catch their excitement, to build upon it, to create a positive upward emotional spiral. Because when we do that, guess what? We both win. Yeah. We both come away with excitement. We both come away with a positive emotional boost. And we both feel better than when we came into the, the um, interaction. So the active constructive response, the capitalizing response is... Jory comes in and says, oh, my God, I've got this great new idea. It tells me a little bit, a bit about it. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's awesome. Like, tell me more about it. Like, where did you come up with the idea? I want to hear more about it. What else do you know? What else, you know, where can we fill this in? What? And so you how can I support of, you? Yeah. And so you come in with genuine excitement and questions, curiosity. So what happens? And this is something you and I have experienced in our relationship. And I'm sure we've all had in our past. If you want to match your partner's excitement but you have some hesitations or you have some questions that may come across as passive or destructive, but maybe they're just things that their partner hasn't thought about. I think it's a really great point. And I think that what you initially want to do is match the excitement. And then you might wait a few minutes and then ask a question of, Hey honey, I've got some questions about this. When would you like me to, to share my questions or concerns? And I love I'm excited you, for you. And it's an and. It's not an or or a but. Or right? a but. A, a couple of things. I'm really glad you answered that way because you touched exactly upon what I would have hoped you would have said. I'm good that way. Which is let's set up a time to talk further. Mm-hmm. 
So you're not dismissing your own questions and you're letting your partner know, hey, I want to talk more about this. But right now, let's just keep this, you know, positive energy going. Yeah, tap into the excitement. Because, I mean, even like, you know, I got a promotion at work. Like, I can be excited for you if that's the case. And there's going to be a bunch of questions that I have. What if that means you're less time at home with me then? Right. And or, you know, what does that mean for getting the kids to school? Will you be in the city, you know, Monday through Friday, eight to five? How much commute? I mean, there are questions and concerns that are very valid. And you needed another time to talk about those, I would say. Yeah. And the other thing that you just said that I'm really glad that you responded with when I asked the question, the, the, you know, the uh, and, is one of my most favorite tools ever is and instead of but. Mm-hmm. If you guys can, and I know I've talked about this previously on my podcast, and I talk about it with almost every single one of my clients, but if you can be aware at how often you say but... And increase your awareness around that and switch it to and. It changes so much because it allows both to be true. I'm excited for you and I've got questions. Mm -hmm. I'm excited for you, but I've got questions. Changes the whole tone of it. It negates the excitement. It It negates negates whatever comes before it. Right. The and allows for both to be true. And as we know, especially in relationships, there are multiple truths. Mm -hmm. And in life, there's multiple truths. I'm hungry and I'm tired. I'm sad and I'm happy. I'm nervous and I'm excited. I mean, those are just really simple, basic ones. But we don't just have singular experiences. And, you know, so I think that's a really important thing to add on to that. Yeah. And and by the way, that skill alone will take you several years to not even master to get good at. Yeah. I'm still working on that one. Well, and, you know, one of the things that John said in the beginning of this is, you know, about knowing these tools. And I want to point out in our humanness, I sometimes get frustrated when we know them and we even know which tools are supposed to be, and I have that in air quotes as I say that, supposed to be implemented in that moment. And yet sometimes we, John, we (laughs) can't always access them. See, I had to get my dig back. (laughs) Fair enough. We can't always access them. And so it's really frustrating when you know how you want to be responding, but your emotions have taken over in that moment and your logical brain can't access the part of your brain where the tools reside. Yeah, and it's it's true. I mean, Jory says, you know, that it's more me than her that can't access the tools when we get emotional. And she's absolutely right. I mean... I'll take ownership of that, that there are times when I get emotional, when I get frustrated or irritated or annoyed, and I can't quite get to the tools. So, you know, for me to take a time out, to back up, cool myself down, and then try and get to it is helpful. The other thing that's helpful is Jory's really good at making the implicit explicit, where she'll call out like, hey, this is me making a repair attempt. And, you know, my internal dialogue is, oh, shit. <laughs> now, now I got to work harder to receive the repair attempt well. Well, let's talk about repair attempts for a second. Right. That's a great entree into that. So repair attempts, um, one of you know the world's leading researchers on relationships is John Gottman. And he talks about all the different ways to be masters versus disasters in relationships. And this idea of repair attempts is, is really important. It's huge. And so the repair attempt is, it sounds obvious, but how are you stepping towards your partner to repair a small transgression, or I guess a big one, but so often you have those little ones that you mentioned, those paper cuts. And you, the, the key, and this is one thing that you know we talk a lot about, is you don't always feel like giving the repair. 
And equally, you may not always be in the mood to receive the repair. Sometimes you just mm-hmm. want to stay annoyed or be in a your funk and, and you're still hurt and you're not yet ready to resolve yeah. for whatever reason. And so the repair attempt, you know, as I define it, really is stepping toward the relationship, making an acknowledgement of, I'm sorry that I've done something wrong. I'm sorry. You know, you got to be aware of this, guys, too. This is something I'm, I get really nitpicky on language. And John will tell That's you. true. She does. I get really nitpicky because language is immensely powerful. And not only is language powerful, but the tone of our voice is really powerful because there are times we can say the right words and the tone doesn't match the words. And so the intention is really, at least for me, hard to receive. Well, and what's the stat? I mean, 70% of what we convey or what we communicate is nonverbal. And, yeah. you know, I've heard different numbers, but roughly two thirds. So one third is the words you're using. Two thirds is your body language and tone of voice and volume. It's huge. And so, you know, understand that when we're making a repair attempt, sometimes it takes extra effort to get all of it in alignment, your tone, your body language, your volume, and your words, Mm -hmm. which I would think are the four most important components of communication, tone, body language, volume, and words. Um, But the repair attempt is stepping toward the relationship. And there have been times where John and I have been super stuck. And it's almost like this dance that we're not quite aligning in. We're like, He'll go step toward the repair attempt. I'm not able to receive it, or I don't think it's the right repair attempt. (laughs) That's a tough one for me. I'm I'm still hurt and angry, and I'm trying to reach out and say, I'm sorry. And she's like, well, your tone of voice isn't there. Yeah. And so I don't. Which makes me angrier. Right. So it gets him more stuck. I don't feel like it was in a repair attempt, so I can't receive it. And then when I'm like, oh, man, but he did say the words, I'm sorry, I should cut him some slack because I know his pattern. And I know that if I can acknowledge the words, the softer tone will come second. Yeah, and that's usually the pattern. So I'll apologize. And the tone of voice isn't there because I'm still annoyed. And what I've tried to explain to Jory is, look, take that as a stepping towards. And even though it's not quite there with the tone of voice, if you can go with me on it, I can give you another apology a little bit later, five, 10 minutes, that that does have more softness and more of the appropriate emotion. Yeah. And so, but if if I continue to shut down his repair attempt of the first step of I'm sorry, then we're never going to get, or it's going to take a lot longer Mm -hmm. to get to those next steps. And and there have been times where, you know, so he'll give a repair attempt. I'm not ready to receive it. Then I'll try to go give a repair attempt. He's not ready to receive it. And then we just keep missing. Mm -hmm. But then, like he said a few moments ago of making the implicit explicit, there have been times where I've tried to give a repair attempt and he hasn't recognized it as a repair attempt. And so I will literally like reach over, put my hand on his arms, very softly say, hey, baby, this is me making a repair attempt. And, and just so you're aware, a repair attempt could be putting your hand on her leg. It could be a kiss. It could be a hug. It could be a, an apology. Eye contact. It could be eye contact. It could be a bad joke or an attempt at a joke. Um, I mean, there's a lot of ways to make repair attempts, but basically it's a stepping towards your partner. It's an attempt to get out of that negative emotional state. And we know that, you know, once you get in that negative emotional state, it, it takes a lot of energy to get out of it and to get unstuck. So any steps your partner's making towards getting unstuck you want to do your best to receive them well, to receive them kindly. And, you know, odds are you're going to be in a negative emotional state too. So it's sort of a, this digging yourself out 
digging yourself out of this hole together. Yeah. And and understand that you won't feel better until you finally meet that repair attempt with receiving the repair attempt well. So this is the ideal situation, but I'm going to tell you the reality of what I see with most couples I work with. The reality of what I see most often is they just give enough time to let the issue blow over (laughs) without ever actually having made a true repair attempt or a true resolution. And we know what's the statistic, how many, what's the amount of problems that can't be solved? Oh, two thirds. Okay. So another two thirds. So research shows approximately two thirds of our problems and relationships can't be solved. But we can still have repair attempts to meet each other. Think about that for a minute. 67% of the arguments, the disagreements, the issues that you have in your primary relationship cannot be resolved. So, I mean, to me, any relationship ever works ever. Well, I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) but it's also freeing to me in a sense because it means that if you have an awareness that, okay, this is an issue that we're just not going to see eye to eye on. So we have to be comfortable agreeing to disagree. So let's talk about it calmly, ideally. And then, okay, I've got my perspective. You've got your perspective. And let's just be okay with not agreeing on that. Yeah. And then, you know, then you will come to some resolution on the other third. But, you know, the, the takeaway from that is that either you get comfortable with this idea of agreeing not to disagree or get comfortable with this idea that two thirds of your issues just can't be resolved or you find another partner and guess what? With that partner, two thirds of the issues still can't be resolved. Yeah. So I I think it's a really good practice and sort of non-attachment of learning to walk away of learning to be comfortable with this sort of. Well, to me, it's about acceptance acceptance around, okay, so we're human, we're going to have these differences. But just to assume we cannot even attempt to deal with it and then it gets resolved, you know, then we're just kind of pushing it under the rug. And I like to say, you know, the more you push things under the rug, you're just going to get a bigger pile under the rug and eventually you're just going to trip over the rug. So you don't have to resolve it to still have the repair attempt. It's because, again, it's that stepping towards. And oftentimes clients will come into my office and they'll say, oh, things are better with my with my partner this week. And I will take it to the next step and say, are things better just because there's been no triggers or are things better because you're actually responding to the triggers in a different way? And the majority of the time they'll be like, um, there was no triggers. Yeah. So we're doing great. This we just week. we just buried the dead bodies in the backyard. We're yeah. fine. So, you know, to me, I, I, I see true growth as, hey, we had horrible triggers this week and we were able to utilize our tools and it didn't get us as stuck as maybe it would have in the past, even if it's just, you know, that 1% shift. Yeah. And so I think some of these awarenesses and ideas are helpful to me because they remind me of the humanity involved in the relationship. So I know that relationships are difficult. I know that two thirds of the issues can't be resolved. I know that one of the big things here is to just keep talking Mm -hmm. and to find ways to move through emotional areas, areas of, you know, disagreement or conflict as smoothly as we can, which doesn't mean it's always going to be smooth. 
You know, one of the things this makes me think about that we actually haven't talked about in the realm of our couples work yet, but I think it's really valuable um, to insert here is, I don't know if any of you have read the book by Don Miguel Ruiz, The Four Agreements. And I hope, because I don't have it in front of me, that I remember all four at the moment, so I will do my best. But The Four Agreements, one is to always do your best. Another one is don't take things so personally. Another one is be impeccable with your word. And the last one, and I have them in the wrong order. And the last one is don't make assumptions. And I think in relationships, we are almost always taking things personally. We are often making assumptions. We are not always impeccable with our word. And maybe we're trying our best that we know how to, which is why I want to give tools to try better. But uh, can I stop you there? What's what's the biggest one? The biggest which one do I think is the most important? Not to take things so personal. Uh-huh. I would agree with you. Yeah. Because and I was gonna, I wanted to bring this up because this is something that I I do think John and I have had great awareness in our relationship is to really be curious when something's coming up in which one of us is hurt or stuck or having a difficult time being fully present or communicating clearly or stepping towards or whatever it is. I think we've had a good ability to be curious about what's really coming up because the assumption, right? Don't make assumptions. The assumption is that I've done something wrong to upset my partner and he's or she's now reacting to me. But if I can stay curious and be, being curious is one of our top tips that we talk about mm-hmm. of staying curious. But I think the root of the staying curious is to not take everything so personally. And one of the things now given we're both, In the mental health field, you know, we both have private practices. We see clients, so we might have a different language than the majority of couples out there. But it is common for us to be able to say, wow, I'm noticing you're feeling fill in the blank. Is this have to do with your ex-spouse? Is this from your childhood or is this from right now? Mm -hmm. Now, given not all of you might want to deeper analyze your childhood or previous relationships in relation to current triggers, But to truly have the ability, like, and especially for John and I, who've both been divorced and previous relationships that we have old wounds and old pains that can get very easily reactivated, it's an important question to ask, what's the source of this pain right now? Because I want to assume it's me and it likely is not always going to be me. And maybe there's some past pain that's being reactivated. Maybe I said something that reactivated it, but the wound is coming from someplace else. Yeah. And and maybe you could have said it a little bit more gently, but... I mean, I, I think you're right. It, it, it makes me think of, you know, one of my favorite teachers at UC Berkeley, uh, his name is Meiji Singh, a uh, Sikh, Sikh Indian, um, one of the wisest, most gentle men that I've met. And I remember I was having trouble. I was consulting with some teacher in school and I was taking what she was saying personally. And he said, you know, John, he said, all of us tend to take 95% of what other people say and do personally when in truth, only about 5% has anything to do with us. Mm. And I would say 5% might be an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, imagine, you know, your boss coming into work and he's annoyed and irritated and he storms through the office and immediately goes into his his office, shuts the door and starts pouring through emails, kind of furiously pounding at the keyboard. And we we assume if you're working in that office place that oh my God, like, what did I do to piss off the boss? 
you know, he knows I left work late yesterday, or he didn't like the report that I sent in yesterday. When in fact, there's probably 500 things that are more closely related to him, more intimately involved in his life that are more likely to have upset him. For instance, wife got mad at him this morning. Teenage son came home late. Maybe he crashed the car. Maybe there was a <laughs> flat tire. Maybe he got a ticket. Maybe there's financial work. Maybe, maybe bird poop on him. I mean, yeah, there, there's so <laughs> it could many be other anything. things. And, you know, we, we tend to take other people's emotions and moods personally. So remind yourself, this isn't about me. And if it is, then know how to communicate yeah. the difference. Well, and if it's your partner, I would say ask. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I can see in some you know couples where that's difficult if you've got a husband raging at you and, you know, excuse me, is this really about me? That might like, piss him off a little bit might, more. That might not, not be the work. right time. Um, so see, part of it's about Honey, timing. I see you're really angry. And yeah. I'm curious, what's the source of your anger might not be the best timing for that either. That, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Anger. You know, but, you know, it, it goes back to some of these fundamental tools of how are we communicating? How are we staying curious? How are we meeting our partners? I mean, the very first thing we talked about was this capitalization idea. So, John, talk a second about capitalization when someone's angry. Like how, how when you don't want to meet your partner. So you're, you talk about capitalization on good news. Mm-hmm. But yet it's so easy to meet someone's anger. With anger? With anger. Oh, Is there okay. a converse? No, I, I said it kind of backwards. The question was a little bit confusing to me. Um, yeah, well, I think that anger is normally met with anger. You know, if you think about all the times when someone comes at you in anger, most people, emotions are contagious. So we pick them up from other people if we're not trained to do otherwise. Which is interesting because when you start off with capitalization, they're, they're not always contagious. Because no. we can easily not always pick up on our partner's good emotions. So are negative emotions more contagious than positive emotions? Oh, there's so much to unpack there. I know. So I'm sorry. <laughs> there's the negativity bias. So negative emotions are three to five times as powerful as positive emotions. So, you know, negative emotions, anger, fear, sadness, guilt, shame, those scream at us. You know damn well when you're angry. You know very well when you're depressed. And, you know, the the positive emotions tend to whisper, they're quiet, they're fleeting, they're fragile, and they're easily dissipated or destroyed. I mean, if you overthink, if you overanalyze, gee, why am I feeling awe right now? The (laughs) awe tends to go away. Whereas if you can just stay in the moment and savor it, you can lengthen it. And I, you know, I think that that's one of the pieces of happiness is putting more Um, circumstances in your life where you experience positive emotions and then also practicing catching them. Um, But yeah, to your earlier point, there's about three points there to to go to, but um, I I think that most people who aren't emotionally aware, who aren't emotionally practiced, subconsciously just pick up other people's emotions. You catch them from other people. An emotional chameleon. Yeah. and, And I think, in, along those lines, there's going to be more negative emotions out there mm-hmm. to catch. And so mm-hmm. because they're louder, they're more prevalent, that's what you're going to walk around picking up. Yeah. And without any awareness, you might mistake them for your own, especially like anxiety. Like I talked to a lot of people about, you know, going into like a college student going into a house party who's socially anxious. And I'll say, so before you go in the house, you know, let's practice some deep breathing, ground yourself, get your heart rate down, relax your muscles. So you know where you're at, you're centered, and then walk into the house. And then if you, you know, start to have a conversation with someone and realize, 
holy shit, I'm getting anxious or nervous or stressed. Just interpret that as their anxiety. Interpret it as you're picking up their anxiety because it reduces your own. Interesting. Um, so, uh, I know so I, I brought up so many different I, I think topics with, um, with practice and maybe maturity and age. I think we get better at, um, setting the emotional temperature in a room. So it's, it's kind of that idea between thermostat and thermometer. Mm-hmm. Um, so a thermostat, sorry, a thermometer just reads the temperature in a room. Whereas a thermometer, thermostat, you set, thermostat, yeah. thermostat <laughs> those words are so close. With a thermostat, you set the temperature in the room. So if you, if I want it colder, I can set the temperature colder. So if I want to make it more exciting or more funny or more, more happy or yeah. more relaxed, I can do that. I can set that in a room yeah. or at least within a, a one-on-one situation. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things why I think why I brought up those varying levels of questions is it takes two people to create a pattern and only one person to break it. And so, you know, if someone is responding in anger, it might be a tendency to want to respond and match their anger. And yet we can be able to break that habitual pattern of just meeting them where they're at with that temperature reading of, you know, bothered and frustrated. Yeah. I mean, I can give you a great example of that in my, in my marriage, when I was married, um, I got accused by my ex-wife of having an anger problem. And, and I'll admit, I was angry at times. I think there was, there was reasons for that. But I also realized that she was yelling at me for no reason at times. And so I thought, and, and my initial response was to yell back. Like I was getting angry back at her anger. And this was probably 20 years ago. But I realized that my anger wasn't changing anything, nor was it solving or helping anything. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, let me work on managing my own anger. And then we'll kind of see who, where the anger problem lies. And, and I worked, you know, pretty hard on this. And so after a couple months, I could coach myself while she's yelling at me and I could work at staying calm. And I would just, you know, think in my head, breathe, relax. This has nothing to do with me. Don't and, take it personal. Yeah, don't make assumptions. Don't be impeccable with my word. And I remember there was a line from a Shin song I used to say in my head, uh, you can't wrestle a dove. Mm-hmm. And so, and, you know, with 30, 40% of my attention, I could coach myself inside my own head. And the other 70 or 60%, I was, you know, looking at her and responding appropriately. Yes, I hear you. I got you. I understand. And just kind of waiting for her to, to tire herself out. Um and it, it worked quite well because yeah. then it was quite evident where the anger lie. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's always a, a fascinating experiment and a great goal to strive for. Well, and then the language that I often use that would really um, be increasing your awareness and just observing what's arising that moment. And in that observation or in that awareness, you're creating space between you and whatever is happening. And in that space, you're able to gain some greater clarity. You're able to choose your response rather than be reactive in habitual patterns that likely aren't going to be super skillful. They're going to be reactionary and often based on previous past issues rather than really being able to deal with, you know, what's coming up in the moment. And yeah, you you talk about awareness. I mean, one of the things that I'll coach my male clients on is bringing in awareness and their attention to their physical body. Mm -hmm. Not so much. They need to get out of their head and get the stories because the head will spin the stories. And so 
to the extent you can get your attention in your body, you can figure out, okay, what's going on internally for me? Because emotions are embodied. They, they tend to primarily be in our body, not so much in our head and our thoughts. Um, and you can tell like, okay, wow, my, like my heart rate's going up. My blood's rushing to my feet and my fists to prepare me to attack. Um, my chest is getting tight. Oh my gosh, I'm getting annoyed. I'm getting angry. And the earlier you can get on top of that, the better success rate you have at interrupting it. And it, well, it takes a little bit of practice. But it it also is a great way to observe. I mean, that's just simply your, you know, your body's reaction to fear, threat, pain. You know, it, it's your body reminding you there's a physiological response to what's occurring. And if we can just observe it as a physiological response mm-hmm. and shift out of the reaction to acting on that. So let me break that down real quickly. So if you're observing it as a physiological response, the internal dialogue sounds like, oh, that's interesting. My chest is getting tight. Oh, my heart rate's going up rather than, oh, I'm getting fucking pissed. Yeah. Because when we can observe it as that physiological response, the next step of that is that's just my brain doing what it does, which is trying to protect my body Mm -hmm. and give me an insight to what's occurring. Yeah, it senses a threat, someone yelling at me. Real or perceived, and that's the part where thoughts come in and the story we're believing is that threat can be a perceived threat and we still have the same physiological response. Well, Jory's tapping her watch, so that means it's time for us to wrap up. But, you know, I mean, I, I love that we are doing these conversations together. And I think, you know, we can give us one or two topics to start on. And we're just going to keep rolling mm-hmm. and <laughs> just seeing where it organically flows. And I mean, it gives you an insight, just how geeky John and I can get on an everyday well, how basis. Valuable, I think this material is. Oh, too. it's huge. It, I mean, I, I, I joke geeks. about us geeking out on this, but you know, I was going to say that this is kind of, what gets us excited and turn um, well I'll, I'll, I'll leave that sentence to end there <laughs> but what I'm saying is you know it's really fun for us to unpack these patterns in mm-hmm. couples in relationships in helping explain in really tangible and relatable and attainable ways patterns in our brains patterns in our bodies patterns in relationship patterns in our communication because at the end of the day we wholeheartedly believe that the skills to be happier, the skills to feel more connected, the skills to have ultimately better relationships is is absolutely learnable. It's attainable. Yeah. And and this is our passion. This is our life. This is what we do. We're trying to track down the perfect relationship. What are the tools? What are the traits that go into that? So if you're interested, I want to extend the invitation to join us this September 12th to 19th, 2020 in Costa Rica at Pura Vida Spa for seven days of teaching and training with Jory and I. And then you've got, so we'll do a class in the morning, about an hour, hour and a half, class in the late afternoon, hour, hour and a half. You've got all day in between to go on excursions, to hang out by the pool. They're amazing wellness center. Oh, it's just, it's pure magic. And the the body workers, oh my God, like I didn't even know. That was possible, yeah. Those kind of people existed. It's, It's on a different level. And, you know, this is a really limited in the amount of space that we have for people. Mm -hmm. And if you happen to be listening, when this episode comes out the month of February, uh, we're doing a special of a discount. So be sure to jump on it if you are checking this out right away. And And we only have room for about five more couples. Yeah, no, it's pretty limited. it's exclusive. And um, if you also, in addition, you know, we're, we're doing couples coaching programs where we're working side by side with you. And your partner to create a customized coaching program for how to implement these tools, identify where you're stuck, 
and in your own language, in your own home, you know, having the comfort of the security of us working side by side with you, we're going to give you these tools because we really believe the ultimate relationship is possible. And it's not what we are defining as the ultimate relationship, but just your relationship in whatever ultimate level that is. We want to help guide you there. So if you're interested, come check us out at theultimaterelationship.com. That's theultimaterelationship.com. And John, we will definitely have to have multiple of these podcasts together because we barely scratched the surface of what we wanted to cover today. Yeah, this one was quite good. Yeah, this was awesome. All right. All right. Thanks, baby. Stay tuned. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 